You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. This is Bill Powers, and you are listening to Mining Stock Education. Thanks for tuning in, ladies and gentlemen. Well, in this episode, we are going to be touching base with Will Thompson. He is a fund manager with Massive Capital, and we've had Will on the show to discuss uh, battery metals investing and will um, in managing his fund goes on several site tours and a recent one that he's been on was actually at the California projects for Equinox Gold which has been in the news uh, announced today a merger with Lee Gold I want to get Will's thoughts on that but Will before we talk about that welcome back to the show and what are your thoughts in general regarding the billions of dollars of mergers and acquisitions that we've seen in the news of recent uh, thanks, Bill. Happy to sort of be back on uh, the podcast with you. Um, I mean, I think the billions of dollars uh, that we've seen go into gold murders is wholly appropriate for the industry. Um, I think the statistic I always come back to is that it, you know, it only takes about four companies uh, in the iron ore space to cover or to produce about 50% of the iron ore every year takes about 10 companies to do the same thing in copper. Uh, and yet gold, you're looking at, you know, in excess of 25 companies before you hit 45% of global production. Um, what that says to me, at least, uh, is that there's plenty of room um, for consolidation. Now, the history of gold mining consolidation is not necessarily a great one. Um, and so, Investors have obviously got to be careful, uh, but I think that we've seen a bit of a trend, if you will, at least in our portfolio we have, um, of these at-the-market mergers. Uh, first, you had Barrick and Rangold. Um, I know there's been one, maybe two others, and now, of course, uh, we've had Equinox today. Um, and the at-the-market mergers uh, – sort of have to be done if they make strategic sense for value creation. Otherwise, there's no point in doing them. Um, and I think the management teams that have engaged in them thus far um, are fully aware of that. So we invested in Barrick last year ahead of the Rangold merger um, and have nothing but positive things to say about it. Uh, and I think that, you know, with this Equinox merger, um, we haven't obviously, we've only just started to dig into it, but I, it looks again like a highly positive merger and a, a lot of that value will be created because uh, there is no premium to the market being taken uh, and it is occurring at the market. And so plenty of room for consolidation um, and some smart transactions that are happening. Yeah, one of the things uh, we were both on the conference call uh, this morning in which uh, the management of both companies uh, talked about why they're merging and uh, the new chairman of Equinox, if the companies, the, this fi this finalizes, Ross Beatty talked about that there were real synergies. Uh, some of the synergies are location uh, with the projects and the mines being in Brazil. There's going to be an increase in quality management with the two teams coming together. And he did stress, like you said, investors hate these premium takeovers. And this seems to be a merger of equals that could benefit both. And he talked about that specific re-rating, that price to net asset value, uh, you know, that metric that they should see a significant increase. Uh, what were some of your other takeaways from the call we just listened to? 
Well, I, I mean, I think that uh, there's certainly something to be said for the the focus that they've got. Uh, it's diversified while remaining all in America uh, or the Americas, which I think is a, an interesting point. Um, they seem to suggest that might be a risk reduction um, or there's some risk reduction qualities to that. I, in, in that regard, I would disagree. Um, I'm not sure that uh, political risk in South America is necessarily any different than political risk in some places in Africa. Um, I would go so far as to say maybe there are some places in South America where the political risk is is uh, is much higher. Um, I don't think Brazil uh, is necessarily one of those locations, so they've got little to worry about there, although I think Mexico is um, by no means an area of expertise for me, but uh, definitely is for Ross. Um, but it, it's got some funny politics at the moment. Um, I think that Ross sort of made several points about the size, uh, and I think that is quite important. And it actually goes back to sort of the discussion of the mergers, uh, mergers and acquisitions in the space. You know, so much of today's investing is done either on a passive basis or done via the sort of investment or retirement accounts of individuals um, that a lot of investments need to size up and scale in order to be eligible uh, to to tolerate basically the flow of funds that can go into them. Um, you know, the minimum size for a lot of investments for, uh, say, a large Vanguard portfolio um, or a BlackRock uh, ETF, you, you know, you need to be able to tolerate um, significant daily volume. Uh, and so the scaled up size of this new company, uh, just purely from a flow of funds perspective, uh, it, it will likely go higher on nothing more than that. Um, and so I think that's quite positive. Uh, the some, some quite firm catalysts, I think, one can expect next year, um, both on the operating perspective side of things, um, but also on the sort of uh, technical trading side. So I know that when I was out there in California, the management team suggested that Equinox would probably be in the JDX, uh, the GDXJ um, come, say, February, I think, of next year. I, I don't remember the exact dates. Um, but now, you know, you're you're looking at probably uh, the GDX um, and the Toronto Composite Index. Uh, so there'll definitely be some, you know, sort of, if you will, almost forced buying. Uh, it's interesting to think of passive as forced buying, um, but de definitely not value conscious buying, just buying. Um, so, you know, those are some interesting uh, catalysts for investors. But over the next two years, say through to 2021, um, the production ramp up from uh, Castle Mountain, uh, squaring, a squaring away in Mesquite, uh, you have potential Arizona underground. Um, and then, of course, you have the Lee Gold assets, uh, which we don't know as well, but have significant upside. Um, it, it all looks like a very positive uh, direction for the company to be going in. So one of the things that was discussed uh, and brought up by an analyst on the call was uh, Lee Gold's possible unwinding of their gold hedging. Uh, when you're doing your due diligence on a gold producer, 
how closely do you look at what future production that they've hedged and what are things that you do or don't want to see going on regarding a gold producer hedging? Yeah, so I I think that the new CEO, uh, Neil, handled that question quite well and, and he raised a sort of a good point, which was they put the hedges on specifically because they were engaging in a whole bunch of capex um, and they wanted, you know, sort of foresight into what their cash flows were going to be given that they were committing to these large expenditures. Now, generally speaking, my preference would be for companies not to be hedged uh, on, on the gold side. Um, but in that particular situation that he's describing, um, I think a degree of hedging makes sense. Going forward, this company with the balance sheet that they're going to have, the cash that they're going to have, um, and the access to additional cash they hypothetically have if they for some reason need it, um, I would rather see the hedges come off. But uh, as you sort of said, I I haven't either looked into to what the cost of taking them off is going to be or how long uh, they've or how far out they've hedged their gold production. So I, I think given that they're already on the books, it's going to have to be a, a sort of game time call based on um, what the economics of actually unwinding them looks like. So no, no point in taking a, a big hit, if you will, if the, the value isn't really there in unwinding them. Um, so it sort of depends on where they've hedged the gold price at, I think. On their balance sheet, as they presented it on the call, um, they said they'll have $270 million cash, $550 million drawn debt. So the net debt is going to be $280 million. And with the production profile of the combined company, I mean, are you comfortable with a debt like that and a balance sheet like that? Uh, yeah. No, I, I, I think it's a pretty pretty strong balance sheet um, for a gold producer, especially given, you know, sort of we did some quick back of the envelope math. And if you told me that next year they did something in the realm of 200 million in free cash flow, let's be conservative and say it's 175 million, maybe. Um, I would say that seems perfectly feasible. Uh, and given that type of free cash flow profile with you know, sort of it going up again in 2021. I think we're looking at two, at the very least, two years of big free cash flow jumps here. Um, that debt is is eminently manageable. Um, I would go so far as to say, not that I want them to, but I'd go so far as to say they could handle more. Obviously, my preference would be that they not take on debt they don't need to. But I, I think it's a it's a perfectly sound balance sheet. And it's hard not to like Ross Beatty. He invests U.S. 40 million at the current market price as part of this transaction, isn't it? Yeah, no, I, I mean, you cannot complain. Having gotten to know the management team a little bit, I don't know Ross, but the, the rest of the Equinox management team I've gotten to know a little bit, you know, they are all invested um, all the way from, uh, you know, Chris, who is the CEO, to uh, a bunch of the geologists. Um, you know, th- they are heavily exposed to the company. Their interests are well aligned with ours. And again, Ross, you know, putting in money right here at this price, I've got to think he think he thinks this is at least a double or something um, from here. Not that you know that's necessarily our valuation, but 
you know, he, he's got to think that there's quite a bit of value that can be squeezed out if he's putting in $40 million here. And I, th- I think he indicated that with his statement about there should be a re-rating just based on what he referred to as de-risking and then that price to net asset value uh, with the bigger company. Yeah, I, I mean, I think Neil um, said something in the realm of, you know, if it re-rates to what other comparable companies on a production profile look like, you're talking about a, a $2 billion U.S. valuation, whereas I believe right now it's about a $1.3 billion uh, U.S. valuation. Um, so that there's substantial upside there just right off the bat from that hypothetical revaluation. Uh, and I, I don't think they'll necessarily get all of that, but um, they'll certainly get quite a bit of it. A couple of weeks ago, you were in California where Equinox has two of their projects, Mesquite and Castle Mountain. Can you kind of walk us through your firsthand knowledge of these projects and let us know what you think? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So I think that so went out to California. Uh, it was a great trip. Um, first site we visited was Mesquite. Uh, Mesquite is obviously sort of up and running. Um, legacy asset. Uh, I think of the two, it is definitely sort of the less uh, value additive asset, but there was some sort of positive updates. I think the, the most important one being that they've gone ahead and looked at several historic waste dumps from when it was previously in operation um, and have found uh, that the waste dumps are averaging about um, 0.35 grams per ton versus the reserves that are 0.57 grams per ton. And so they sort of expect now that the the waste dumps, which, you know, sort of there was no value for, if you will, either in the resource estimate or in the acquisition price, um, are going to add somewhere between, we'll call it a, a six months to a year of mine life um, and reduce the sort of stripping by blending it in with whatever they, they pull out of the several pits that they're currently operating. So I think that that's a very sort of positive um positive takeaway. Uh, I will say that they seem to have had uh, some struggles at Mesquite in terms of getting the operations flowing correctly. Um, It's a a low-grade deposit, so they've got to move a lot of ore uh, and a lot of waste, um, but they're, they're certainly making a lot of progress. And it was quite interesting they spent a lot of time talking about how many times the Mesquite asset has changed hands and how much data was lost in that process and how much time they've had to spend now sort of trying to understand the geology. Um, And it, in some regards, was an operating mine that had no geological model to go along with it. And so I think that this past year, what you've seen is them trying to run the mine and understand what they had on their hands at the same time. And next year and going forward after that for a couple of years, you're going to see them operating a mine that they have a geological model for, that they feel comfortable with, um, and that they're going to be able to sort of sequence production from um, in as efficient a way as possible. So I would expect the sort of value add from the mine to increase uh, going forward from what it was this past year. Um, 
in regards to Castle Mountain, it is, uh, it's all on track. Everything's moving in the right direction. Um, given that both mines are in California, permitting and, and sort of issues like that are obviously of great concern. Um, but in the case of both mines, they seem to, they seem to have a good grasp of what California expects of them. Um, and the hurdles that they need to overcome, I think the sort of critical issue for Castle Mountain is going to be permitting in uh, regards to water usage. And in that regards, they seem to have been quite thoughtful about it. Uh, and the management team has squared away about, I, I think it's about three different options for sourcing water. Um, not all of which involve the same regulatory authorities. And so if they lose out on any single one sort of approach to sourcing water, they have some backups. Um, and so I think that that thought process, which they've also done sort of in regards to the footprint for phase two of Castle Mountain, um, of this sort of, we are prepared to go into the the permitting process this way, but if we need to pivot, we've already got a secondary approach lined up. And in some cases, like the water, let's say a third sort of approach lined up um, is is appropriate for a place like California where, you know, one can sort of never be sure necessarily of, of what direction the state wants to take its its regulations in. You know, I talked to Christian at the Sprott Conference this last summer, and I asked him that question about California as a jurisdiction. I said, you know, it's one of the most far left politically state states in the union. And then he shared with me that that may be the case, but in these more rural areas, um, not so. And they do appreciate what the mine can bring to the local economy. Is that, did you see any anecdotal things you can share or in your own due diligence, would you agree with that? So I guess what I would say is uh, in driving to the mines, um, I will say that these mines are in the middle of nowhere uh, for all intensive purposes. Um, so there is nothing around them for, you know, other than small, very small towns, um, I'd say, you know, sort of draw, uh, draw a circle, uh, with a diameter of sort of, uh, six hours of driving, if you will, uh, with the mine sitting in the middle. So, so there's really nothing around them. Um, in regards to someplace like Castle Mountain, Castle Mountain is in, which county? Um, I forget which county exactly it's in, in California, but whichever county it's in, has one of the highest unemployment rates in the country. Um, and a lot of the population is either engaged in some sort of natural resources uh, or, or unemployed, basically. So they're either farming, um, working at Castle Mountain, which isn't that many people at the moment, uh, or they're unemployed. There's really not much else going on. Um, the the farming in the area is frankly quite remarkable because it's all desert. So uh, they divert the Colorado River down and um, it's pretty remarkable what they're able to grow there. Uh, but I would say just based on those sort of stats, one would think that uh, these projects uh, and the employment that comes with them and the potential for expansion um, are, are looked at uh, favorably. 
Um, now, in regards to Castle Mountain, it was run and shut down in a very sort of efficient and effective way. Um, and so the state of California actually uses Castle Mountain as an example of how to uh, reclaim a site once a mine is shut down. Now, of course, they're going to have to sort of reverse that because they're putting it back into production. Um, but so the local community around Castle Mountain, at least according to management and according to the sort of re regulators take on it, um, is all quite favorable um, and positive on Castle Mountain, in part because not only was it mined well in the first place, but when it was shut down, it was shut down in a very clean and efficient way. So, um, you know, th those points are what they are. The, they aren't necessarily the basis for an investment thesis on their own, but it, it seems like uh, the areas are positive um, and favorable for mining. Equinox has said that they want to achieve production next year in 2020. Phase one, which would be years one through three, is 45,000 gold ounces a year. And then they want to ramp up to phase two in years 14 through 16 to 200,000 ounces of gold a year. Based on what you saw in your analysis of the company, do you feel like this is a reasonable goal that they could achieve? Uh, I don't see why not. Um, the only potential delays appear to be – there don't appear to be any geological issues. Uh, there don't appear to be any funding issues, especially now. Um, the only issues that could crop up appear to be permitting. And again, um, once they get their phase one permitting squared away, they've designed phase two such that it fits in the same mine footprint, if you will, permitted footprint as phase one. And so the new permitting that needs to occur in order to put phase two into production in year four um, is much more limited uh, than what they'd have to go through if they actually had to expand the permitted area for the mine uh, from phase one. So that's, again, just an example of them thinking through the permitting process in this, you know, sort of difficult location. And I don't see any reason why, you know, what they say they'd like to do, they can't accomplish. There, there don't appear to be any hurdles, if you will, that uh, they haven't at least contemplated. I'm sure something will come up, as it always does, um, but sort of the big picture items, they appear to have uh, thought through sort of quite deliberately. Will, do you hold Equinox in your fund currently? And as a result of this merger and your site tour, uh, if you do hold it, will you be adding to your position? Um, so uh, we do hold it in our portfolio. We've held it since... Earlier this year, at some point, um, I don't, I don't remember when. I, I'd probably call it February or March. Um, we will not be adding to it only because we had already taken it to a full position size, and uh, sort of don't add to things once they've reached a full position size, and then have appreciated further, if you will. So um, I would add to it here uh, if that wasn't the case, but. It sort of is what it is, and it's how we manage our portfolio. And is it one of the larger uh, gold producer positions you have in your fund? Uh, yes. Uh, Equinox is one of the larger. We have three gold positions, and uh, they're actually all roughly the same size, but um, it is one of the larger of the three. So then do you prefer that kind of emerging mid-tier where you get that re-rating 
rather than just going with the, you know, the barracks, the big boys? So when we manage our portfolio, especially for something like gold, which we sort of regularly and always have in the portfolio to a certain degree, we think about having a mixture of what we consider to be ballast positions, um, asymmetric return positions, and then uh, some something that sort of fits in the middle between the two. Um, and so a ballast position would be something like a barrack, which we have in the portfolio. Uh, Equinox is something between an asymmetric return and a ballast position. And so we, we like to have something like that in the portfolio at all times, um, in addition to uh, a ballast and say an asymmetric. And at the present time, our asymmetric sort of return position was continental gold, um, which we held since earlier this year and which is also getting taken out now. So um, by a Chinese uh, producer. So that was a win for you. Uh, that was a win for us this year. Yes. Excellent. So your website is Massif Cap. That's M-A-S-S-I-F as in Frank, C-A-P dot com. Anything else uh, the listeners should know about what Massive Cap is up to as we conclude? You know, feel free to uh, go to the website, sign up for uh, our research and letters. And, um, you know, we'll have our fourth quarter letter out, uh, what, I don't know, probably probably about four weeks. And um, we'll talk about the gold stuff. Uh, we'll talk about our interest in energy at the moment, which as a percentage of the portfolio is rapidly expanding. And we think there's a lot of good opportunity in the energy space right now. And um, uh, I'll have to see what else we touch on. But um, we distribute research and white papers and uh, people seem to enjoy reading them. So if you're interested in natural resources, please sign up. Well, Will, as always, thank you for coming on Mining Stock Education and sharing your insights. I appreciate it. Thanks, Bill. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10 for 1 returns as there is in small cap and micro cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident and just do your work as best you can. Do your very best, but don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents, but it requires commitment.
This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on MiningStockEducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.